Hi, my name is Anne McElhenney. And I'm Phelan McAleer. Welcome to the Anne and Phelan Scoop. It is week 65. That is, what is that, Phelan? What, uh, what is 65? According to your mathematics, which is, you know. Which is always a worry. Always suspect. That is one year, three months, and one week since the two weeks to flatten the curve lockdown. But we've huge news here. Remember, we're going to quash the curve. Remember that? And to stop the health services becoming overwhelmed, we're going to close for two weeks. And now it seems to be. Uh, we're just we're, we're trying to kill the virus. Actually, no one must catch the virus now. Well, we've huge news here though, because in California this week we've been freed. Have we not? Did that not happen, Philip? We have been freed, Anne. Yeah. Isn't that Somehow. amazing? But you know what? It's a, not a, a year after Florida was freed, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, six months after Texas was freed, or a year, you know, we're the, this is the last state in the union to be freed. Crazy, yeah, exactly. But 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 however bad it is in the United States, spare a thought for people in the UK yeah. who were promised that everything would open in June, on the twenty first, I think of June or the twentieth of June, everything yeah. would be open, everything would be open. And now Boris Johnson, just on a whim, has decided, no, you know yeah. what, we're going to push it back four weeks because of the Delta variant. Um, as they say, you know, there'll always be a variant. And yeah, the latest now is that. They're going to push it back by four more weeks after the 21st of June. So there's no restaurants in the UK. There's no indoor pubs in the UK. There's all these restrictions. There's no, no Broadway. There's no West End theatres. Nothing. It's And there's restrictions on gatherings and you have yep. to wear masks. Anyway, uh, what else is happening in the show today? Because we've got a lot going on today, actually. We have a lot well, going on. Well, we're going to look at the G7 madness and G7 hypocrisy and G7 virtue signaling. Hunter Biden is moving house, and guess why? No, it had nothing to do with us. <clears throat> nothing to do with us. No, Absolutely no. not. Uh, no, 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 not at all. Yes, so we have news on that, which will be very good. Where's my, and also, where's my bullhorn? Um, and also, Phelan, we have, you have... You and have, of course, listen, there's a virus out there, the G7, inflation's on the march, lumber costs a fortune, cats are hungry. But we all know when Hollywood tells us what the world needs right now is... And another... Another abortion road movie. Is that right, yeah. Phil? An abortion road trip movie. And Hollywood Reporter just thinks it's wonderful. Let me tell you something. Don't think that the madness of Venice and the degradation of the homeless is a Californian thing or a Los Angeles thing. It's coming to a city near you. As your cities become more leftist, this is the model going forward because it makes social justice sense. So we'll be talking about that. And we have an easy-peasy Easy, easy peasy recipe involving a microwave and about and, and and literally five minutes of work time, which we'll be bringing you. And I've never done this before. And actually, I'm going to do it. I'll make it on the patio later at the end of the program. So um, we'll question. Be looking forward to that. Yes. Question: Does the easy peasy uh, recipe have any peas in it? No, but I know you love peas. No, but it's a dessert. It's a dessert. It's so a you, dessert. Oh, so now you're happy. You see? I don't even know what it is actually. I know you don't. I think you don't know what it is. So look, we're going to start, though, by looking at the G7, the craziness of the G7. So, you know, you know, these are the world's leaders. These are these are the people that, you know, that are supposed to be some kind of role models that you would look up to that would be sober and sensible and rational and logical and all those kind of things. Yes. And I think the best way to summarize what happened at the G7 is with a few images that we want to look at yeah. um, that are just imagine yourself being, you know, somebody I, I, I think I'm borrowing from somebody else, but I think, you know, imagine an alien arrives from outer space and says, bring me to your leaders, right? Or whatever. And yeah. they go to the G7 summit and they're like looking at these pictures, trying to work out, well, what's the message here? So, you know, it started out with this elaborate 
uh, elbow dancing thing. Um, you'll see a little bit of this video of the elbow dancing, huge amount of elbow yeah. dancing that went on. So there were all these leaders were keeping their social distance, elbowing each other. These yes. people, by the way, all of them have been vaccinated according to themselves, yes. right? So they're all fully vaccinated. They've gone past the 20, whatever it is, the 14 days after the vaccination. But they're at the elbowing stage. They're at the elbowing, at the elbowing. They did a whole lot of that. But then it's like... Almost immediately yeah, after. Yeah, we've done that footage. We've done that, and everyone gets the message. And then after a day, so like everyone else, they relaxed. Yeah, and, and not not. And by the way, relaxed. God, even like it's like um, they're getting a bit hot and sweaty with each other. Yeah. It's like they're getting from what is that? What Americans say about getting from first base or whatever. Yeah. I mean, this is all a bit intimate looking. Yeah, Mr. Macron and, say, and Macron, Mr. Biden. There was a Macron Biden thing. It's like a kind of a courtship, and it ended up with the most ridiculous image of all, as far as I'm concerned, with this hand holding. Which is kind of like... I know you're not allowed to say it. It's a bit gay, though. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Not that there's anything wrong with that. It's just a bit odd. It's but he's French. Like, I mean, they're all gay, aren't no, they? No, but it's also... it's a kind of No, the whole thing is... The, the, I have to say, the hand-holding to me is gratuitous. It's like, you went from this elbowing thing, right? Which was ludicrous. And by the way, look at Trudeau, by the way. When he did the elbowing, Trudeau was wearing a mask. And some of the other ones were wearing masks at odd times, too. It's like... You know, so th- you imagine the alien, you know, with the perfect brain or whatever comes down here, a superior form of life and mm-hmm. says, bring me to your leaders. Let me see how your leaders operate. And they're looking and they're thinking, now there's something going on, obviously, where everyone's very careful and they're keeping apart from each other or whatever. You know, but then on top of th- but then you have the hand holding. You know, I suppose that's the special relationship, is it, Phil? No, 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 yes, obviously very special. And then you got Trudeau there. Look at that picture of Trudeau with the mask and the elbowing. And there's Trudeau standing there in a full conversation with Her Majesty the Queen. I feel sorry for the Queen at these events, like yeah, dealing the queen, with these. Like, and the Queen, by the way, she's motoring on there with, with no mask on and all of that. But anyway, and she's I definitely just think yeah. there's a number. Low, lately, I came across this is gratuitous and just a little. I, I just I have a question for you, Phil. And I think I know the answer. What is. Because I've been just looking at, these are just a few images at the beginning of the show. And those of you who are not watching on YouTube, you're missing out a little bit on these pictures. But anyway, this picture I am, you know, I just think definitely needed to be looked at. So, Phil, my question to you, fingers on the buzzers. Yes. What is the opposite of fat shaming? Fat shaming. So fat shaming is where you shame someone for being fat. So the opposite of that is, I suppose. F- oh, I think I know what it is. It's, uh, it's. The word affirmation comes into it. Uh, fat acceptance, isn't it? There's a fat acceptance movement. Is there body, what, what's that? Body body, accept, body positivity. Body, body positivity, right? Now, like, okay, I'm putting up this image here. Oh. Now, the headline, you haven't Actually, seen this, Philip, yes. but here's the headline that goes with this picture. Right, I'm very interested this. in the headline. So the headline says, yoga teacher um, Yasmin Stanley believes white supremacy has polluted yoga and it's time to talk about it now and there's a photograph of yasmin and yasmin and is that, an african-american lady and she is morbidly obese is the, it would be the correct description right now and she's a yoga teacher by the way but that's okay. kind of the thing that i think is most significant here in a way but there's loads of things that are significant here i first saw this on twitter and i didn't believe it, you thought, it was, i thought it was a deep fake i thought it was somebody was joking mm-hmm. um but it's not it's a real thing and we checked it out because we are here for you and we do that kind of thing somebody needs to talk about it because the journalist just pretends that this is a perfectly normal image and there's nothing wrong, makes no reference to that image. Yeah, so here, there's a number of things to say here. I mean, the most significant thing, obviously, is the fact that this is a person, this black woman here in this picture, is morbidly obese. And that, you know, Magda was just making the point earlier, like, um, 
you know, the goalposts change all the time. Can uh, We're old enough to remember, as they say, you know that phrase, I'm yeah. old enough to remember. We're old enough to remember when Michelle Obama was in the White House and she talked about the, what was it called? Obesity crisis. The obesity crisis or the obesity epidemic, right? And, and everyone had obesity. to get out and move. And, and by the way, and by the way, we're not questioning the, the, the science actually behind what Michelle Obama was saying because she was right. Because before, even before COVID, right? Even before COVID, obesity causes a number, a huge number of health difficulties. But, so add to that, we've moved forward now. Now we've got COVID. And now we know, by the way, we know, and no one actually is denying that. Yes. We now know that one of the worst situations to be in, and that's the fact that the morbidity uh, among the population of obese people is extremely high. There's an incredibly high connection between obesity and fatality from the COVID virus. So, you know, how, what is going on here, Philem? Do you want to explain this to us? Like why, you know, this is another example. Actually, you know what it is? And I'm going to say it. This is another example of journalists just being irresponsible. This, yes. is, this is more than just, this is really irresponsible. Yep. Um, because saying that this image needs no commentary um, is, is wrong. And God help the girl, like whatever, right? But don't be celebrating. Don't be pretending that the story here is about white supremacy. This is a story about morbid obesity. This it's, woman- also, it's also funny. You know what it also is? It's journalists telling people that there are certain things they're not allowed to, to notice ta- to talk about. Oh yeah, or to even it's yeah. about narrowing the the debate on everything. Yeah, right. Yeah. So people are now people now look at that and they go, oh, this is also about obese people being yoga teachers. That's kind of interesting. And you read it and it doesn't mention that at all. So you think, well, oh, we're not allowed to talk about that anymore. So it's another thing you're not allowed to talk about. And this article is actually and they use that image deliberately. By yeah. the way, yeah. To try and, I, and show you that you're not allowed to talk about and it. And I actually was, I was, I was thinking earlier as well, it's kind of weird, and I don't know if many of you have noticed this, but I've noticed this, that sometimes like when you're online and you're looking at, and there's like an advertisement, I saw an advertisement for swimsuits the other day in the Irish Times, and, and by the way, that's Mr. Top Cat there, who's putting yes. on a lot of weight. Um, he is I, lot, I, wa- I saw an advertisement for swimsuits in the Irish Times the other day, and the first image that I opened when I clicked on it was of a black person, which, you know, is an unusual thing anyway in Ireland, by the way, by possibly less than 5% of the population are black. But actually, that wasn't the problem. The problem was that the person uh, in the ad was morbidly obese. And um, it's like, what are we saying here? You know, what are we saying here? It's, it's, just, it's, it's just quite crazy. Okay, moving on. Yes, we're going over to Myrony Bell. Our uh, dear friend Myrony Bell, by the way, yes, worth saying. Who works for CEI. Let's go over now and talk to him about all things energy, all things Keystone, uh, all the important things, the things that keep the lights on. So let's go over there now. So we're joined now by Myron Bell of the uh, Competitive Enterprise Institute. Uh, Myron is the director for the Center for in- Our Energy and Environment um, and uh, really an expert on all things uh, global warming, climate change, climate hysteria, energy. Uh, and so that's and a, and a good friend of ours. And a very good friend of ours for a really long time. For a really long time. And uh, so with all that's happening in the world at the moment, there's no be- better person to talk to about the madness, um, particularly as we look at what's happening, what happened in Texas, what's going to be happening in Texas, what's happening in LA, what's happening with the Keystone Pipeline, and what's happening in the White House and what's happening at the G7. So there's a lot to talk about. So welcome to the show, Myron. Thanks for having me, uh, Phelan and Anne. Good, Good to, to see, see you. Yeah. yeah. Now, you're in the middle of a field there, Myron. Is that correct? Well, I'm, uh, the background is is uh, Baker Valley in eastern Oregon, and that's the Elkhorn Range, uh, one of the bigger ranges in the Blue Mountains. 
Massachusetts. Beautiful. Is that where you're from then? Yes. Beautiful. But you're actually not there right now. So that's the wonders of Zoom, which we yes. all have yes. come to know and love. Not really. I've got, during, I've, during the last I've got my feet in. I've got both feet in the swamp here. Okay. Uh, ah, God help see. us. So it's, yeah. So the swamp, um, I suppose we, we can't really talk about Texas. And we can't really talk about uh, Keystone Pipeline without talking about the swamp. So first of all, let's talk, I suppose, the latest latest news actually was uh, that Texas is warning people that there's going to be blackouts, could possibly be blackouts because of a heat wave. Because of a heat wave. Now, Texas it produces more energy than Saudi Arabia, but they're going to have energy blackouts. Can you explain that to and, us, Myron? They had the electricity went off. People froze to death in the winter. So please explain that to us, Myron. Well, it's not only Texas that could be having blackouts this summer. The Southwest and California could as well. So, uh, you know, it's uh, these predictions, who knows whether they'll come true. But uh, Texas uh, deregulated their energy market over 20 20- uh, their electricity market over 20 years ago, uh, when uh, George W. Bush was governor of Texas, but they also added a wind or, or a renewable energy mandate, which has been, been fulfilled by building a lot of windmills in North and West Texas. And the, the, the Texas Plains are a windy place. Mm-hmm. So you'd think they'd be fine because they're now getting something like 30% or more of their total electricity throughout the year from windmills. The problem is uh, in the summer, it's really hot in Texas and demand goes up. Everybody mm-hmm. turns on their air conditioning. So demand is uh, at least twice as high as it is in the summer. Uh, but the wind doesn't blow very much in the summer. So Texas twice as high, Sorry, twice as high as the winter, not the summer. Yeah, in, in this summer because of air conditioning, right? Yeah. So demand is high in the summer, but the wind doesn't blow very much. And so uh, they have a problem because uh, the various companies that supply electricity into the market in Texas have spent the last 20 years concentrating on building wind factories, wind turbines, mm-hmm. and not building conventional power plants as Texas's population has increased. So they have a problem, which is there's been too much investment in renewables, which are intermittent and unreliable, and not enough investment in conventional power plants. So, uh, you know, it's it's a gamble every summer now whether they're going to have some blackouts. Can I ask kind of a philosophical question here, Myron? I mean, if this can happen in Texas, where I would like to think, you you tell me if I'm wrong, but I would like to believe that the Texans are more educated on, on energy than most, most people in other places yes. because of the fact that yes. they've had this amazing wealth, you know, energy wealth for so long. I'd like to think that they're better than the average in terms of what, what energy does and how it works. How can this happen in Texas, Myron? <laughs> Uh, it, it's it's a long it's a long story of of political pressure. I mean, you have to remember that the 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 renewable energy industry uh, is very powerful because they get a federal tax subsidy, and that gives them a lot of a lot of money to play with to uh, to to influence the, the the politics in Texas. Just like they have a lot of money to do so in let's say California, uh, I think. Uh, Texas still has a political system that uh, 
will respond to these uh, uh, problems. And, and if there are blackouts, there will be some some serious consequences. I think some other states are in much worse shape going forward, particularly California, also the Northeast. Uh, California has this, you know, this goal of having 100% green energy or clean energy. Uh, and they can, that is conceivable because whenever there's a shortage in California, they can draw from, let's say, wind farms in Wyoming or solar panels in Arizona. But as more and more states adopt these renewable energy targets, there's going to be less excess power in these other states for California to draw on. So although California now has among the highest electric rates in the world, uh, I think that the system is going to become less and less reliable, and there are going to be more and more uh, blackouts as, as prices continue to rise. I think the whole story of the blackout that happened this year, which we had a friend, we had friends who got stuck in a hotel with their child. Mm -hmm. They were in a, you know, huddled together for three days, no heat, no food, no water. Um, mm -hmm. You know, first of all, it, it, there's a lot of interesting things here. One, by the way, the fact that the whole world isn't talking about it all the time is amazing to me and just shows you how much power the media have to suppress an extraordinary story with very serious implications for renewable energy. But I'm also, I, you know, I also, I mean, I, you're definitely more of an expert on this than we are, but I mean, has anything happened in Texas? Have any changes <laughs> been made based on that frightening event where a 14 year old boy froze to death in Texas in the 21st century unnecessarily? Well, I, I think that the Texas blackout in February was a good example of the fact that cold is much more dangerous than heat. Yes. Uh, a lot more people die from cold than die from heat, even in warm places. So uh, so a lot. I think it's coming out now that there are a lot more deaths in the Texas blackout in February than were initially reported. Mm -hmm. uh, so. It was a disaster, and I think that the Texas legislature, which has just concluded its session, uh, did not adequately address the root problems. I think they, they did pass some legislation and they corrected some things, but uh, by and large, the, the renewable energy lobby in Texas is right now, it's just too powerful to take on. So uh, I think uh, until there are some summer blackouts, which will be uh, annoying, but perhaps not as deadly as the one in February the, when it was really cold. You know, I mean, it, this was historic cold in Texas, right? It, it, it hadn't been that cold throughout the state for in recorded history, really, and it's certainly not for over 100 years. So uh, I think that uh, more more pain in Texas will will. Uh, concentrate the politicians' minds on, on the fact that they really do have to fix this. I really, I, I really hope you're right, Myron, but I have to say the fact that it happened in the first place at all and the fact that people aren't <laughs> all talking about it is scary to me because, I, I, you know, you would think that 
you know, no one's talking about it. Nobody's talking about it. It's not a story. It's not. A, if you said it, I mean, I think there's people who don't even know it happened. I think there's Americans who don't even know that this happened, that there was a blackout. And we talked to some other people. We talked to Robert Bryce, who I'm sure you know. I mean, the fact that uh, and, and we talked to John Harpole. I mean, it was there were basically hours. Was it days? Sorry, minutes. I think. Oh, no, minutes. Sorry, minutes. There were minutes away from a blackout over the whole of the state, which would have had like would have been absolutely catastrophic, would have involved tens of thousands of people Dying. But th- they were minutes away from that because of the because of the system that they have, the vulnerability of the system that they have set up there. Um, I find the whole thing. Fr- I mean, obviously, we're going through this whole COVID thing, and we're looking at how the media have been really super- extraordinary in their dereliction of duty of of telling the truth of what's going on around the world. And this is another example of the same type of thing, and it's super dangerous. Lessons are not being learned. That's my worry. No one's learning a lesson. Even the conservatives aren't talking about it. You know, conservative politicians aren't talking about it. Conservative politicians who owned Texas let this happen on their watch. You know, mm-hmm. um, uh, and did those deals with those renewable energy lobbyists to to allow wind to have this on you know outsized yeah outsized influence so that the so that the grid when it came under pressure um, you know couldn't ramp up couldn't ramp up on time. I agree, but I think uh, the fact is that that they've they've gotten over it. Uh, they somehow the the, the tragedy and the the, the uh, extreme suffering uh, is something that has been forgotten fairly quickly. I think it was reported fairly widely. I mean, it was uh, there was a big map on the front page of the New York Times uh, the, uh, on February 17th, the uh, front page of the Washington Post. It was on the evening news. I think Americans were aware of it, but I think that the the causes are so complex that the uh, at least the there may be, I've talked about the root causes, right? The fact is that they've been investing too much in intermittent and unreliable wind power and not enough in conventional plants as the population has increased. But there were a whole lot of other things that went wrong on top of that basic, those basic causes. And so I think it's a very complicated story. And so uh, you know, as long as the, the people in charge are saying, well, we are doing something about it, we've addressed this. For example, uh, some of the blackouts, they cut off the power to the natural gas pipelines mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. that the natural gas plants that produce electricity couldn't run. Well, that's that's just that's a, that's an incredible uh, goof. But you see, they weren't planning for cold weather. They're planning for hot weather problems because yeah. Texas very seldom has weather where it's below zero, right? Mm-hmm. And it was below zero across almost the entire state for several days. So, uh, and, you know, the last time that happened, I think, was before the First World War. So, you know, this is something that they weren't prepared for. And it's it's a question to me how much money they want to spend to prepare for it uh, for the next instance of extremely cold weather, because it may not ha- it may happen in two years, but it may happen in a hundred two years. I want to talk now about uh, the other uh, the other side of the, uh, the other part of the country where madness reigns. Uh, the Keystone XL pipeline. Finally, the company this or last week said, "That's it. We're finished. You know, we're 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 taking it on the chin." Uh, Joe Biden has banned the Keystone XL pipeline, which is a pipeline that was going to bring Canadian oil into America for refining. And now we're going to have to find that oil from somewhere else, probably from 
Saudi Arabia or other great human rights uh, uh, regimes in the world. What what's going on? And I mean, uh, is it, is it just going to get more and more crazy? Uh, probably, given what's going on here in Washington with the Biden-Harris administration and the Democrats in Congress. Uh, TransCanada, which I think became TC Energy, they're, they're the builders of the pipeline. Uh, you know, they built one pipeline, one Keystone pipeline from Alberta down through the Great Plains, down to uh, uh, the refineries uh, in, in America. Uh, and this was the second one, because, of course, there's just an awful lot of oil in the oil sands up in northern Alberta, and they've they, they, they want to ship it the cheapest way they can. So if they can't build the second one, and this this is goes back, I think, 13 years now when they initially applied in the Obama administration, if you recall, kept putting them off and delaying it and delaying it. Um, a, a decision on the permitting, on, on whether there would be a permit for the pipeline to cross from the Canadian border into the U.S. So the, the, the permit is just for really a millimeter or something or a a tenth of an inch where that border is. Mm -hmm. uh, so Trump approved the permit, uh, and now Biden immediately, as soon as he was inaugurated, canceled it. And so the company has now faced reality and, and said, well, we're going to have to find some other way to get this the oil, uh, the product of the oil sands uh, to market. Uh, there's lots of oil in the United States. I don't know that this is going to increase Saudi imports, but what's going to happen is uh, the, the Canadians are going to continue to, to ship a lot of oil by trains. Yes. Uh, and trains uh, have two problems. Uh, one is uh, they're much, it's a much more dangerous way to ship oil, mm -hmm. it is. as we've seen from several big accidents. And the second is uh, it's a lot more expensive. So they have a they have a problem. It's going to cost a lot more to ship this oil by train to, down to the Gulf refineries. Uh, and the the options are difficult, but I think the option they'll eventually pursue is this big pipeline west across the Rocky Mountains to some port in British Columbia. Uh, so, and they'll ship the oil from from uh, a Canadian port, uh, probably you know to places like South Korea and mm -hmm. Japan and Taiwan. So there, I, I think that you know there's been a huge amount of political opposition to that pipeline in Canada. But I think that the the government purchased the pipe the, the the part of the pipeline that had been built, and they purchased the right to finish the pipeline. So the the federal government in Canada owns the pipeline, and there are a number of native tribes that oppose the pipeline, and they, mm -hmm. it has to go across their their land. But there are other native tribes that want to own the pipeline. So I think those native tribes would like to acquire it from from the government, and then they would make a lot of money from, yeah. from the pipeline. So there, it's, it's very complicated there too, just like it is here. So, but I think eventually the, the, oil, the, the oil from the oil sands will get out. What, but what's the Biden's uh, administration's plan? Is it, did they, I see something like net zero by 2050 or something? Did it, yeah, is that, is that their big plan? Well, it's, I think it's net zero. There's, there's now three goals. There's 2030, 2035, and 2050. Just explain to people what net zero is and what it'll mean in reality. Well, I'm not quite sure <laughs> what it will mean in reality. Yeah. Um, net zero emissions means that we will still have some greenhouse gas emissions from 
burning coal, oil, or natural gas, but we will somehow counteract those emissions through, by doing something else so that, so that our emissions won't be zero, but on net, when you add them all up, the counteracting will somehow balance out the remaining use of coal, oil, and natural gas. So I, nobody knows how that will work, um, I don't think. And um, the, uh, the goals are crazy. Uh, they're, they're, uh, they seem to be designed to destroy the economy. Um, President Biden has made it clear that he wants to uh, change the situation now, which is, you know, 20 years ago or 10 years ago, we still imported uh, $500 billion a year of foreign oil, right? Mm-hmm. From Venezuela and yeah. Saudi Arabia and Nigerian places. All the rich. Uh, yeah. I mean, some, year, some years it was less and some years it was more, but let's just say $500 billion yeah. a year. So that's a huge uh, trade imbalance that really affected our, our, our trading balance. Uh, now, as, as a result of the shale oil and gas revolution, which you two know more about than I do, since you actually made a movie about it, um, we're a net exporter. We're the world's largest producer of oil and gas. Uh, we, we're the second largest producer of coal. China is the largest, but we have larger reserve. We have the world's largest reserves of coal in this country. Wow. So we've flipped that $500 billion a year imports into now we're, we're a next net exporter of energy. So this is a huge economic turnaround. So President Biden wants to throw that all away, um, trillions and trillions of dollars of wealth. And we now want to become a, a producer of renewable energy, which depends upon the production of huge amounts of, of metals, critical minerals, uh, most of which are produced uh, in other countries, and uh, most of which are processed. That is, they take the ore and they, they extract the metal uh, in China. So we will, uh, now that we're energy independent, we're now going to become mineral dependent upon yes. China. And this is a, this is a huge turnaround. Uh, and as far as I can tell, uh, the, the goal of the Biden-Harris administration and many Democrats in Congress is essentially to destroy uh, one of America's greatest industries and our, and our biggest uh, source of wealth and power in the world yeah. and imperil our national security by making us dependent yeah, upon no, I mean- China. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, the, the 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 day that the first shale well was fracked horizontally it should be a national holiday. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. honestly, it should no, be no, a, it should a day be. of celebration uh, because this was the start of sending five hundred billion a year. The end of sending five hundred billion a year to some of the worst regimes on the planet. Yeah, yeah. And it means that you're less likely to have to send young men and women abroad to defend. That supply and to defend, uh, you know, it, it made it made you know, and leftists should love this. It made America less interventionist, probably in the world. Mm-hmm. It made America less beholden to people who throw gay people off roofs. It made America less beholden to the corrupt kleptocrats, and it should be a matter of national and international celebration. Um, and if the world wasn't completely nuts, yes, <laughs> which unfortunately, it is. Yeah. 
no, it's yeah. uh, it's it's. I mean, it's frightening. It's really frightening. Um, well, any enough. on that cheery note? Yeah, no. That thank you so much, Myron, for 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 that update. Um, we did ask you two little additional questions that we ask all our guests, which I know Myron is Myron is one of those intellectual giants, a, a, a colossus who bestrides the the continents. Yeah. Um, and I know <laughs> asking him about uh, recipes or art. Well, art, I think that possibly is okay. But we do ask all our guests um, if they cook anything and what did they cook, what they're famous for in their house. What's their famous recipe? And what are, what's a piece of art that is important to them that they could share with the world inspired. and has inspired them. So let take it away, Myron. Uh, well, I'm a, you know, I think there are four essential food groups, uh, coffee, uh, alcohol, chocolate, and hot peppers. Um, but I, I grew up on a cattle ranch. And so I'm, I, you know, I cook uh, meat and I, I, you know, there's this, there's this whole thing about making vegetables look and taste like meat. <laughs> well, I'm working on trying to make meat look like vegetables. I think there's a huge market for that. <laughs> um, and I think it may be larger than the the reverse. I yes. Think. So what I want is to make meat look like broccoli and you know, <laughs> other vegetables. Um, uh, so that's that's my big uh, contribution to to your cooking uh, segment. Okay, my culinary yeah. my culinary question. And um, what about art? Then what have you any piece of art you would like to share with us? A movie, a poem, a book? Well, I I I'm a. a, a I'm not a very talented musician, but I'm very interested in music, particularly the the early Italian Baroque. But I would just mention uh, something. You know, Bach, Handel, and Scarlatti were all born on, in the same year, and people often think Scarlatti was kind of an afterthought. But I would encourage you to to get the 34 CDs that Scott Ross recorded in the mid-1980s, initially on LPs, probably 60 or 70 LPs, of all of Scarlatti's 555 keyboard sonatas, which he recorded on several different harpsichords. It's it's stunning. Oh, my God. Okay. That, that, that's something I, I, I imagine they have it on Spotify, by the way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, good. That's really good. Listen, Myron, thank you so much for, for taking your time today because um, and I think we need to have you on again, Myron, because there's a lot. <laughs> there's an awful lot to unpack here with this energy situation. I, I think it. it's scary. I am actually genuinely scared, you know, because we had this personal relationship with these people who were trapped in Austin um, and from, a you know, hour by hour basis, we were trying to work out how to get these people out of a hotel and stuff like um, it became it became frighteningly real. And I you know, as you say very well, you know, it, it's coming to a, it's coming to a place near you. Yeah. It's certainly going to be coming to California because our grid is extremely vulnerable and becoming more vulnerable by the moment. Um, as I said, yes. when we started off today, actually, I think we just got a notification that they're asking people to start saving energy now because of there's a wildfire and because of the fact that there's going to be a, yeah. a big heat wave this week. But um, yeah, so this is this is becoming more relevant, not less. Unfortunately, Myron, you know that thing where you know, it's like Myron's life has been dedicated to trying to, you know, sort of educate people about energy and, you know, on free markets and all of that. And, you know, we've had this, we've had this conversation, you and I, before film, where it's like, you know, 501c3s should be always hoping to become retired. 
that the problem right, that they right, were right. that the problem that they were set up for should, should be eventually solved. be solved and so that they it's a you know it's not you're not got a job for life you got a job for a few years you'll go in there you'll solve the problem and you'll come out and unfortunately myron i don't see it happening for you anytime soon unfortunately <laughs> and it's not your fault um the fact that the governments change yeah. uh, so dramatically well, when you've got texas uh, having blackouts because they support renewables i mean this There's is what the left are doing. The left are getting in on the on on Republicans, you know, and and they see that, and that's how they they manage to have Boris go climate crazy. God, was, Boris, was, was, feminine, was to infiltrate the Conservative Party. Well, I think the great thing though with Boris Johnson is that the grid is going to be feminine in the UK, which uh, which I bet I bet Myron never thought of that. I bet Myron <laughs> never thought of the issue of how feminine the grid was. <laughs> That's Myron. Uh, that's Myron I, laughing, look, by the way. Yes. And, and I, I like and, and Phelan, I like the idea that, you know, 501c3, so a, a public interest group should go out of business. Yes. And I actually thought there was a period when climate, the, the climate alarmists had been defeated yes. and I'd actually be able to uh, finish my career working on real issues, not on uh, totally phony ones. But, you know, the, the climate industrial complex is just enormous. They have yes. they have such huge resources that they can keep pushing uh, less energy and more expensive energy down our throats. Yeah, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Okay, enough for today, Myron. We will talk to you again soon. Thanks, Myron. Thanks so much. Thanks. Bye. Very good. And we alluded to it actually in the interview. Uh, Hunter Biden is no longer a neighbor of ours, Anne. Um, um, why not? Well, uh, you know, uh, why not? So. There's an article about it in Artnet, isn't that right, Anne? Yes, there is. So yeah, Artnet have just uh, just just published um, an article the other day, and and, the, and, and then we spoke to Hunter Biden about his new life as a full time artist, his personal quest for universal truth through painting, painting. You know and the that. article was quite snarky actually for for a kind of what you would expect a, a lefty journalist to be for these for an art. Uh, my favorite part of the article is the first paragraph, yes. which. Which mentions my husband, Philip McAleer. So here's what they say. Hunter Biden is on the move. The lawyer, former lobbyist and son of U.S. President Joe Biden has left his $5.4 million rental in Venice Beach, California, for a quieter Los Angeles neighborhood up the coast. They don't, so, they don't say where. He won't say where exactly because right-wing guys like to show up on his doorstep with bullhorns. I believe there was only one right-wing uh, guy. guy who showed up at his doorstep Actually, with a bullhorn. Let's, let's play that video now. Let's Actually. play that. Hello? Hello? I'm looking for Hunter. Uh, we're looking for Mr. Biden. Uh, I'm here to ask him some questions. I'm a journalist. Uh, who, who are you, sir? I'm a, I work with the Secret Service. Okay. Yeah, we're not going to be taking any questions. Well, I'm not asking you questions. Okay. I won't ask Mr. Biden. Well, he's, he's not, not going to take any business. He's not going to come down. So he's, um, a, he's, a, he's promoting a book at the moment. No, oh, I understand that. Yeah. So I just I'm going to no, just. No, no, we're not going to hit this anymore. Okay. That's fine. We're just going to. You can stay here as long as you want, uh, but we're not going to ask him any questions. No, no, I'm I'm good. And we're I'm not going to touch anything. Okay. Okay, that's Thank fine. You. I understand right. that. Thank you very much. All right, no problem. All the best. All right, take care. He's there. He's there. He's there. Well, if he'd answered the door, if he'd answered the door, I would have had, I would have uh, had no problem talking to him if he'd answered some questions. By the way, if journalists had done their job and asked him these questions, then I would not have had to uh, paddle up 
the Grand Canal Saint in Canal, Venice exactly. and uh, ask him the difficult questions. Officer Biden, did you lie on your gun background check? He's at the window, he's at the window. Mr. Biden, I just saw you at the window there. Please come answer some questions. Did you use the Secret Service to go and get retrieve your gun from a dumpster? Should that not be investigated? Should you not answer questions on this? The article goes on then to talk about his art and that. And yes, so what the, do you find interesting in so these? So basically, the, you know, the the article goes on to say the topic of our interview has nothing and everything to do with Biden's well-documented struggle with addiction, his memoir, his famous dad, his made-for-tabloid romantic life, or his ties to President Trump's impeachment and to the Ukraine. Nothing. Because he wants to talk about the art he's been making and his upcoming show in New York this fall. Everything because, well, it's art. And for Biden... Everything is connected. Well, we know every, said, we know everything is connected for Hunter Biden because he he has been using he's his well conne- con- yeah he, he's been using his connections to make millions. That's actually very good. While he has and for for I'm um, continue next paragraph. While he has no formal training, Biden has been making art since he was a child. In recent years, the practice has taken on a more formal, serious turn, and he now works as an artist full time. He has a dealer. Which, by the way, this article. The funny thing about this article is they keep on talking about he has a dealer, his dealer, his dealer, and I'm thinking, hmm. The word dealer used to mean yeah. something quite different for him, well, I right? Think, I think he's using this. I think he's using that word deliberately. No, the, I think there's so a too. lot of snark in this I article. I feel like it's very snarky. So anyway, his dealer, Georges Berge, a studio and collector and a collector base. A solo show is on the horizon. Berge plans to host a private viewing for Biden in Los Angeles this fall, mm-hmm. followed by an exhibition in New York. Here's the lovely oh, line uh, here. Price. Actually, can I just stop you before that line? Why, I wonder, Anne, yes. would he be planning to have a private viewing in Los Angeles? This fall, following by an exhibition, would in that case, be just because in case some right wing guy with w- a bullhorn might w- turn up at the exhibition? Yes. Anyway, I know you all want to know, so we're going to tell you prices for the art by Mr. Biden range from seventy five thousand dollars for works on paper to $500,000 for larger scale paintings, Burge says. Um, and then the quotes, from, the quotes from Biden are amazing. So here's a quote from Hunter Biden. I don't paint from emotion or feeling, which I think are both very ephemeral. For me, painting is much more about kind of trying to bring forth what is, I think, the universal truth. And then the, the article goes on to say... The, the journalist says, yeah. The journalist says, it's tempting to brush off statements like this as a bunch of malarkey. But for Biden, a controversial figure who has been vilified by the right and uncomfortably ignored by the left, quite good by the yes. way for him to say that, what is that universal truth exactly, you know? I would say it's um, something to do with money. But anyway. Here's the universal truth according to Hunter Biden. And, you know, this is what you've come this, to this podcast for. The universal truth. That's mm. what we're all about here. Here he is. Here he is. You won't get it anywhere else, folks. You came here for the universal truth from Hunter Biden, and here it comes. The universal truth is that everything is connected and that there's something that goes far beyond what is our five senses and that connects us all. Money. The thing that really fascinates me is the connection between the macro and the micro. Money. And how these patterns repeat themselves over and over. Money, money, money. I mean, actually, look, if you answered, if those were questions, the answer to that is money. Universal truth is that everything is connected and there's something that goes far beyond what is our five senses and it connects us all. Is That's money, money. actually. Oh, yeah, fair enough. The thing that really fascinates me is the connection between the macro and the micro, money, and the, how these patterns repeat themselves over and over. Money, money, money. I mean... That's what he's interested in. That's what Joe's interested in. Um, 
Money and power, actually. Oh, I don't know. Listen, you know, Burge, who represents, this is Burge, of course, his dealer, who represents a roster of international artists, but is not a regular at art fairs or a typical stop on the blue chip gallery circuit, said he has been a constant presence in Biden's life over the past year. The two speak by phone as many as five times a day. I've encouraged him to incorporate his written work in his photo-based mixed media. Uh, I mean... (laughs) Remember we sp- remember when he started talking about having exhibitions of his art and selling his art, and our lawyer friend said yes. the best way to launder money is is through art. So, five hundred thousand for a piece of art, it's a great way of influencing the president of the United States yep. without bribing the, uh, the 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 president of the United States. Actually, there's a um, picture. Actually, he's a self portrait, which you actually thought was okay. I did um, actually, and I then did. he uses poetry as well. And so the poetry, yeah. So there, there's a. We'll put the picture of him up. Uh, his his. Uh, his I think the self portrait isn't terrible, but then I'm not an expert on art. And then there's the poetry in it too. And then there's a the poetry in it which you find yeah, all, all around. around him. Beautiful things, tangled colours, cradled mercy, made real, rose up, and he began again to write a new story. So, so he's, yeah. not, he's, not, he's not into the rhyming? And the poem is related to Biden's book, Beautiful Things, a memoir published in April by an imprint of Simon & Schuster. But of course, there's a deeper meaning. But, um, but by the way, Beautiful Things, a memoir, how much money did he get for that then? Two million. Two million. Um, for le- sold 11,000 books in the first couple of weeks. There you go. There you go. Oh, next, are we going to tell people about next week then? We are going to mention this quite now. Yeah, actually, because that seems oh, like... But, oh, but sorry, hold on a moment. We have to tell people the most important thing about Hunter Biden. Oh, we have to tell people the most important thing about Hunter Biden? Yes. We're making a movie about Hunter Biden. Oh, yes. My yes. Son Hunter. My Son Hunter.com. You probably saw it in the video of me going up the canal, but we are, and we do need your help. And we're almost, we're almost at 900,000. No, we're over 900,000. We need to hit a million dollars. Uh, so please help us get there. Look, Hollywood, the mainstream media, they're not going to make this film. We need your help to make it. We hope to be filming in September, October. We are talking to people about starring in the movie. We're talking to some very interesting names, but we need funds in the bank. And uh, we're doing well, but we need to do better. So please give what you can. I know you, we've been asking for this and you're probably out there thinking, oh, I must do that. I must do that. Please do. do it you, if you've given some, please think about giving again. Uh, it's going to be a lot to, of fun. And, and thank you to those people who've given already. We're the, really, we're really um, in your debt and we're really, really honoured that you're, that you're trusting us with this story. But, um, but So please go to mysonhunter.com and uh, let's make a movie. Yes. But uh, we were going to mention next week, by the way. So next week we are going to have the wonderful, ever wonderful Lionel Shriver on to talk about her new book, which is called Should We Stay or Should We Go? There's a photograph of Mr. Topcat with yes. the book. Yes, so Lionel, you know, she's a, she's a kind of a liberal person who has become kind of radicalised over the years um, by, she lives in London by Brexit, by, by actually cultural, uh, the cultural appropriation artic- argument really got her going, where you're not allowed now to write, if you're white, you're not allowed to write it, black people, Hispanics, you're not allowed to write it, but lesbians, gays, you, you know, you, everyone has to stay in their lane. And so Shakespeare couldn't have written most of his, his great work. So she really became radicalised over that and has had some very interesting views on a lot of things. And uh, we don't agree with everything in her books or, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a very, very interesting book about, actually it's about euthanasia. 
um, and the and future growing old. and growing old um, it brings up some very, very, very interesting issues. And, and it's uh, laugh out loud funny, and it's also shocking and frightening, really frightening. Um, it's, you, you, it's really smart. You've read it all. I, I finished it. I, I'm seventy percent of the way through, so uh, we're going to have lots so to say. You might want to watch to read it this week in advance of our interview with yes. Lionel Shriver. So, so, so should we, it's called should, should we stay? Should we stay or should we go? By um, Lionel Shriver. S H R I V E R. Lionel Shriver. Now, Phil, you wanted to talk about this. I feel like I watched, so I watched Unpregnant. I watched yes. this movie, Unpregnant, um, and I spoke about it before on yes. the podcast. And the, reason, just- the reason it's in the news is because it's going on HBO Max, so it's going to have a massive audience. And it's Unpregnant, uh, an abortion road trip movie. So it, it's an interview in The Hollywood Reporter with the star of Unpregnant, Haley Lou Richardson, and the director, Rachel Lee Goldenberg, and how they blended craziness with genuine emotion in this buddy comedy about abortion. They don't say that a lot, but it's a buddy comedy about abortion. If a young woman needs a procedure, is that possible? Where's the closest facility? There's an Albuquerque in Missouri? The law won't let me get one without my parents knowing. Oklahoma, Texas, New Mexico. We'll be in Albuquerque by tomorrow night. Mm -hmm. Uh No. And we'll be home Sunday evening. Why are they looking at the car? I see my mom's boyfriend's car. And we're driving a stolen car. Hello? If you don't help us out, we're going to be in so much trouble. I don't think that this is what you really want. It's my life. It's my choice. Grab on! Hold tight! Grab on me! Trees go fast. So here's what happens. The Helmer and actress break down how they found a way to address the topic of teen abortion in a comedy. And I, can I suggest, I know one of the ways that they managed to do that was with the help of Planned Parenthood, yes. who, as we have told you before, have someone working full time in Hollywood uh, getting the Planned Parenthood propaganda into yeah. movies into scripts into tv shows and into uh, this is why we're making movies. the 100 biden movie by the way and, uh, and we'll come on to that in the interviews the, the left take this very seriously they have someone from they have someone from the nrdc working full-time in hollywood to get environmental propaganda into scripts and into shows they have someone from planned parenthood full-time making hundreds of thousands maybe half a million dollars a year and she gets up in the morning and all she thinks about is how i can get the planned parenthood messages into scripts into TV uh, shows, all of that, all of them. So, I mean, movies. I mean, they talk about in the intro there. They say found a way to address the topic of teen abortion in a comedy. I'm more interested in how, what the article says about why they did it, right? Oh yeah, but, you know, and uh, you know, so it's with this girl who can't get an abortion. So she, so she, they go on this road trip, and you know, Goldenberg, who's the director. Goldenberg says, I hope that people enjoy the film first and foremost. I hope that it emotionally engages them and hopefully it makes them laugh. The thing I hope, most hope, most hope, the thing I most hope it can do is just be a small step in normalizing and destigmatizing abortion. Right? That's how, that's how propaganda works. That's what inspired me to make it. Yeah, right? that's what she does. What I'm hoping is to see a character like Veronica who wants an abortion and it's way too hard for her to get it, but she gets it and she's grateful that she was able to get it. 
right? Because it's about somebody being in a state where minors, This is and it's a minor, right, and who's not allowed to get an abortion without her parents' consent. So she has to drive to a state that will allow minors to get abortions without her parents' consent. So it's it's all about destigmatizing and normalizing abortions by minors under the age of 18 without their parents' consent. You know, and that is their plan. And that is the, she said that's the most important thing that she hopes people get. More than the laughs, more than the drama, more than the emotion. Yep. Um, so, you know, and then she says, Richardson, the actress, says, making movies is cool because you can start conversations like this and you can do it in a creative, entertaining, different way. That's like also not my, my son it's Hunter. Exactly, it That's exactly, exactly why we're making the yes. My Son Hunter movie, yes. right? Just imagine, if, if you know, put, put the my, words My Son Hunter here. So she says, making movies is cool because you can start conversations like this. I wish I could do the Valley voice. Making movies is cool because you can start conversations like this and you can do it in a creative, entertaining, different way that makes you feel like watching a movie like this. I feel like there's something in this for everyone. And, and I feel like it's not just young girls who watch this and have these conversations. She talks about the Kevin character, right? Oh, yeah. Gosh. The Kevin character in the film is not a perfect guy, but it benefited from watching a movie like this. But so, yeah, so she wants to start conversations because, you know, you know, she, and she says, the director says, oh, maybe I can talk to her, this about a friend about needing to go and get an abortion or wanting an abortion. Or maybe yeah. I can, maybe, yes. what's that again? So, so this is the director. So one thing that happened to me was after I graduated high school was a friend told me she'd gotten an abortion in high school. And she had a hard time with it. You know, so so maybe if some teenagers said, oh, I've seen I'm pregnant, maybe one of those teachers can know, oh, maybe I can talk to this friend about needing to go to get an abortion or want an abortion. They want to destigmatize and normalize abortion by minors. That's what they that, that that's what they do. And that and they want to do it in a creative, entertaining and interesting way and an emotional say, way. I'm so the, so that people will watch it and get this message in another way. Can I just say. This is a, you know, in some ways, this is exactly the reason why we exist. Yes. Um, our Everything that we do at the Unreported Story Society is exactly based, is, is exactly because of the existence of this. Yes. Because the left are using art, they're using exhibitions, they're using music, poetry, movies, TV shows to get their message out. We exist. We are the only 501c3 on the right, on the conservative side who are doing exactly what the left are doing. But they are the only d- big difference is there's just us. On the other side, there are hundreds of millions of dollars a year being spent. B- billions. Billions of dollars being spent getting the message out through the arts. And we're the only ones who don't, who are doing this. The right are very, very good at, you know, policy papers and very intelligent political position papers and political conversation and political conferences. We're the only ones who are dedicated to the arts, the, to making plays, exhibitions, um, movies, etc. to get the message out. And our message is the truth. So um, please help us any way you can at unreportedstoriesociety.com unreportedstoriesociety.com a uh, little advertisement there that I didn't expect to be doing but actually you oh, yeah, if you want to help exactly the Hunter Biden movie just go to mysonhunter.com yeah. I mean moving on though I, I wanted to talk about uh, Venice Venice Beach uh, let's show some photographs there I mean it's impossible to describe or even show in photographs how bad it is the hell that is out there it is unbelievable and it's not just how awful it looks but there's also an enormous amount of violence kind of on a regular basis i think we showed some video the last time of just how bad it is but it is the crime is through the roof crime is through the roof like burglaries are up hundreds of percent violence 
violent acts are up hundreds of percent. Uh, and, I, I, you know, you know the spike in homicides? A lot of it in Los Angeles is violence, is homicides in, in homeless encampments. Yeah. People are getting shot all, all the time. Start, starting fires. So we have a local councilman here, Mike Bonin, right, who is now basically feeling a lot of pressure. I mean, it's so the sheriff... Who the sheriff of Los Angeles, who doesn't strictly have uh, jurisdiction over the beach, has said, "I'm going to go on the beach and clear these tents." But it's not just the beach, by the way. It's not just the boardwalk. It's the streets, uh, especially. They've set up this thing called bridge housing to to for people, you know, on the beach, of course, because homeless people need bridge housing with a beautiful sea air That's and a right. beautiful location. One, one block from the and beach. all the, all that has done is encourage thousands, hundreds maybe a thousand people to put their tents around the bridge housing in the, some of the nicest parts of Venice. And, you know, you know, and Bonin, and, and of course, Bonin won't give press conferences. He won't w- do walk arounds because he'll know he'll get attacked by people here, the local councilman. Bonin, all, and then, so he gave an interview to a nice, friendly journalist. Bonin also acknowledged that the bridge housing facility he pushed and that I went to a meeting to and objected to and everyone else objected to over fear, as he as here says, over fierce objections from those who said it would only make matters worse, which we did, <laughs> which, which, which got right. off to a rough start. But he contributed that to a perfect storm of legal constraints and pandemic-related hurdles. This was a problem before the pandemic this has nothing to do with the pandemic and he's claiming oh the response to homelessness wasn't so balkanized and screwed up look this is a law enforcement issue you know there was always homeless in la in la there was always homelessness on on venice beach but there was dozens of them as opposed to thousands of them uh, because they they were they were moved on and they were told and and no one is going no one has done a survey finding out how many of them were offered homes, many of them were, most of them were, and they have refused them. Mm-hmm. So this is not a homelessness issue. This is an issue about people refusing homes and wanting to live outdoors against the law. Yeah. So therefore, it's a law enforcement issue. Mm-hmm. So it's it's going to get worse before it gets better, maybe, but let's see. Um, the, the, recipe, the recipe this week is like, this is crazy easy. And I'm kind of... I'm all about the crazy easy things. And I think this is something for parents, by the way. This is the kind of thing in the summer that could be great for a very quick dessert for children mm-hmm. and fun as well. And, and because it's like, it's instant. I mean, um, Magda and I did this together in the kitchen just now. And it was like, you know, it's minutes to how long this takes. So this is using a microwave, by the way. And I always find when I watch those cookery programs, they're very sneery and snar- snarky about microwaves. Yes. And actually the microwave is just a, the best thing ever. That's funny. I'm, I, if I ever met Gordon Ramsay in a... In in a bar or you know in a restaurant I'd, I'd say like is there any time because he's always don't use a microwave i'm saying is there any time when you would see a microwave as a good instrument for cooking uh, in push that cat film uh, to, into being well, well behaved we don't want any uh, bad behavior particularly when i'm about to talk about food yeah. we can't be having the cat doing grooming um, uh, pornographic grooming let's yes, put it that way we're not having that so this recipe this, week, this recipe this week is the cho- is chocolate mug cake God, could this be easier? And here's what you need for it. You need unsalted butter. Of course, sorry, the New York Times have this recipe and they said unsalted butter. I actually used salted butter because I use salted butter for everything because I always use Irish butter because it's gorgeous. So Mm. I didn't bother, I didn't need to put any, because this recipe calls for a touch of, like a little pinch of salt. You don't need a pinch of salt because you've already got the salted butter. So basically a tablespoon of butter, one egg, a few drops of vanilla extract, um, 
you know, granulated sugar, it's interesting, tablespoons, of this, they say three to four tablespoons of granulated, granulated sugar. I didn't do that. I did two tablespoons of brown sugar. And I actually think, and I think Magda, you'll agree with me I, and feel I'm right. I don't think it needed more sugar. Oh, than no, that. it didn't need more it sweetness. Didn't. Um, and then if you want, you can put in a teaspoon of mini chocolate chips. But here's what you're going to be doing. You're going to be using a mug. So first of all, you want to melt that butter. Melt the butter in the microwave in 10 second slots so you don't burn oh. or or burn up boil, the, the boil up the butter see and it'll melt really fast and, yes. it's, and it's really cool so melt that then you want to crack an egg into another bowl and add the vanilla and whisk that to combine and then pour that mixture the egg mixture into the mug with the over the butter and whisk that again to combine then add the sugar add the cocoa powder and salt if you need it, but you won't need it because you're going to be using Irish butter. And then whisk that until it's mostly smooth. And don't worry if there's a few lumps. Keep going. Scrape down the sides. Make it as clean looking as possible. Mine isn't that clean. We were doing this in a bit of a hurry this yes. morning. And then you don't have to, but we did, add some mini chocolate chips at the top. Mm-hmm. And then put that in the microwave for between one and one and a half minutes. But keep a close eye on things. I think we would definitely recommend using a bigger mug than the one we used. And then we did the ultimate taste test, which is Phelan, who has the very sweet tooth around here. Phelan. What did you think? It was delicious. It delicious, was delicious. And nutritious. Uh, uh, for a, you know, a minute it took. I mean, it's just amazing uh, and it's uh, delicious. You and could, for you anyone. Could, you could serve it to a king. Yeah. And for anyone, I'm just thinking of loads of friends of ours, for anyone who has problems with flour, including Magda, by the way, including including Yvonne, you know what? You don't, there's no flour in this. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's a cake and it's gorgeous. Love and what it. we did was we poured a bit of just pouring heavy cream on top of that. But you could whisk up that cream or you know what would be even nicer and I didn't have any because I realised Phelan I went to the fridge earlier looking for vanilla ice cream to put on top of that and I realised yesterday there was vanilla ice cream in the fridge and today it's not there and I'm thinking there was we were burglarised in the night is that correct? So for let me help you for those who who can't understand uh, in Anne's English she's actually accusing me of going to the fridge uh, secretly. Grand larceny. Is that what it's called? Um, well, not if, I, not if, it's, if it's technically mine. It's not larceny, right? But you stole ice cream and not, you know, actually, you know why it's stolen? It's because you never said, oh, I'm going to have a little bit of ice cream. Would you like a little bit yourself? It's always the bitter word, isn't it? It's when you're married this long. It's always the always the bad assumption. Never, you, you know, but my wife, would, say, my no wife, denial there. my there's wife, no denial my there. wife would never assume. My wife would never assume that she asked me to find something deep Buried, I don't think it was I per- did. Uh, pearl I did. onions. Pearl onions. The pearl onions. That were buried deep in the freezer yesterday. Oh, and you d- you decided to give yourself a reward for that. Oh, you see, always the always the bad uh, always the bad thought again. Again, she thinks the worst. She goes straight to thinking the worst. No, Anne, I suggest that whilst I was looking for the pearl onions, that you managed to stick at the very bottom of the freezer in the very worst corner. I moved stuff and put stuff on top of stuff, and that the vanilla ice cream is in the freezer, and. Uh, oh, you, you did not find it because you you immediately thought the worst. You see, you looked in the freezer. Oh, Phelan has stolen it. You're saying the vanilla ice cream is there? And yes, and I'm going to go now. I'm well, going to take a picture. Pa- no, may a couple. May a couple doesn't. May a couple doesn't swing it. May a couple doesn't swing it. May a couple is one of those cliches. Okay, stop. We have got to finish this. Oh, show. we. Oh, yeah. Isn't it amazing how there's a time element whenever one person's in the wrong and the other's in the right? So, oh no, we got to go now. We got to move on. I am in the wrong. I admit that I'm in the wrong, and I wish I'd told you because I actually just looked in the fridge, couldn't find. Freezer. freezer couldn't find the vanilla but you ice cream. didn't look thought the worst thought the worst but by the way maybe i thought the worst because based on history 20 years of history of this type of it's activity it's a bit like of looking of saying to myself do you know what i know what there is in the fridge there's that one cookie that i didn't eat and go in there and search in that fridge and not finding that cookie and then finding somebody would literally 
sort of like it's like Eric, right? You find the person then, and they've literally got like like chocolate stains around their mouth. I wouldn't. I wouldn't waste chocolate like that. I'd be via chocolate. No stains around my mouth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, that's very true. Okay, the last thing I'm going to say, the very last thing I'm going to say, is that James and Sheila Tyson, Tyson, Tyson wrote about the about the about the one ingredient ice cream from last week, and they said the banana ice cream. The banana ice cream. They said add a jigger each of Cruzan aged light rum and Tia Maria. We started making these in the night in the late nineties. We love you, Sheila. Well, we love you back, Sheila. And, and I wrote well, to Sheila, yeah. And I wrote to Sheila and I said, "Love you back, Sheila." And I love those suggestions. But by the way, just heard from Magda earlier that they made it last night. Fabulous success. However, and I think it, the fault is on Costco's side, not on Magda's side. Their um, their Vitamix. Their burned, Vitamix burned out. The burned out. They burned out the the and, and by the way, this is ludicrous because this is not a tough thing. It's it's just a banana. It's a frozen banana. So I, I think this is the fault. So she's going to have to bring her Vitamix back to Costco. Another good reason, by the way, to have a, uh, a Costco membership because obviously they take everything back. But honestly, except allegations about people getting, stealing ice cream, which can never be taken. They'll back. never take that back. But one thing I can say is we're getting very good reviews about the one ingredient ice cream, and I just think it's extraordinary. It's like it's a it's an alchemy, and isn't cooking just a joy? So please don't just actually like marriage. Just like a joy, a joy, a, joy. a thing a of joy. beauty is a joy forever. And unlike Costco, you cannot take a marriage back. Well, you can, I suppose. <gasps> People do it all the time, particularly in this part of the world here, you know. Somebody actually complimented us the other day for being married for 20 years, like it was a big thing. Where we come from, it's not a big thing. It's called Tuesday. It's called Tuesday, yeah. Everyone's married for 45 years where we're from. Okay, enough of that. Uh, See you next time. Don't forget, mysonhunter.com, whatever you can give. We really appreciate you. Thank you. Thanks so much. Bye.